In our studies in Hebrews, we have come to these verses, Hebrews eleven twenty-seven to 29. By faith, he, that is Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. There's a sense in which those three verses uh, summarize many of the events in the life of Moses uh, before they actually got into the wilderness uh, with the wilderness wanderings and the children of Israel. Uh, There's a sense that um, what the writer is here saying is that whatever Moses did, he did it by faith, that every stage, every challenge, every difficulty was by faith. And I think there's just a general lesson here that uh, we need to remember that it's not just particularly strong and amazing exploits that are done by faith in God, but it is also just the whole Christian life from the start to the finish. It's all to be lived by faith. Now, let's particularly look at these challenges uh, in the three verses. And we, we take it a verse at a time. The first challenge that uh, Moses faced as he lived by faith was the wrath of the king. And we remember, too, that the writer is addressing uh, Christians, uh, from particularly converted from Judaism, who also were facing the wrath and the dislike, the hostility of their contemporaries. And so this is speaking not only to the past historical situation, but it's also speaking into their own situation. And it may be that there's someone here to whom this is relevant, that you are facing the anger of someone who doesn't share your faith, or you have that prospect, that possibility, that if you continue to follow Christ, you're going to come into big trouble with a person or persons. Well, let us look at the example of Moses here. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The word that's used there for wrath in the Greek is a word that implies great wrath, not just slight anger, but real turmoil, real rage. Uh, Fury might be the best word to um, summarize the kind of wrath that's being spoken about. That was the the anger of Pharaoh. It wasn't that Pharaoh was just irritated or mildly annoyed. He was completely furious by the repeated demands through Moses that he, Pharaoh, should let God's people go. And his response right from the start, and it really tells us his response right through these um, confrontations, his response is, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. He is just right through completely antagonistic. I think we have a very shallow, romantic, but unreal view if we think that there are some people whose hearts will be melted, you know, provided we're good, provided we're nice, 
then there are, everybody eventually will give way to Christian things and to good things. Now, God can use that and sometimes does use that. Um, but we need to understand the Bible teaches there's a, a wickedness in man that, that just hardens his heart. Uh, and so you get even right at the end of the Exodus narrative, you get Pharaoh uh, looking at his counselors and saying, we've been fools, we've been mad to let these people go. We've got to chase them, we've got to bring them back. It's just deep-seated anger that is driving this man. Perhaps he was particularly stirred up by the loss of his firstborn, but that hasn't made him repentant. It hasn't uh, made him want to change. It's only made him more angry. And Moses is under no illusions that Pharaoh is going to relent. I think we need to remember, without being terrified and paranoid about people, that we should have no illusions. There are some people who are just completely implacable. Uh, Jesus talks about them in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not cast your pearls before swine. Uh, do not uh, give that which is holy to the dogs, because what you're likely to do is to cause them to turn on you. They'll despise what you've said to them, they'll despise the gospel, and they'll make mincemeat of you. There is this category of person, and sooner or later we come across them. And we need to uh, be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We find one or two other characters in the scriptures like Pharaoh. There's another Pharaoh. Pharaoh is just a dynastic word. It means king. And there is another king in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, in chapter 3, just like Pharaoh. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, he receives the resistance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they refuse to bow to his image. And they say to him, look, even if you cast us into the burning, fiery furnace, God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to your image. And at that, we read of total fury. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and expression, the expression on his face changed Toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. So even the people, the soldiers throwing these three men into the fire were killed by the flames. The man was insane with wrath. And perhaps it's the prospect of that which is as terrifying as the experience of that. And we see how Moses overcame that by faith. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Let us make no mistake that the fear of offending somebody can be a great obstacle to us in following Christ, and we need to face up to that. Uh, Matthew Henry puts it very quaintly and Succinctly, he says, those who forsook Egypt must expect the wrath of man. Those who forsook Egypt must expect the wrath of man. And if that man is influential, if that person is rather 
a key figure in a crowd of others or in an office or in a workplace, then it can be trouble. We don't like to admit to cowardice. There are certain things perhaps we are prepared to admit to, but I think few of us feel easily that we can admit to cowardice. And we need to remember that Simon Peter denied Jesus Christ three times, not because one of the centurions or a whole cohort of Roman soldiers had a go at him, but but because a little servant girl said to him, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And she said, another one said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. Just those two. And then some other uh, insignificant um, person in the household, they also said, you're with him. And he just denied Christ. Perhaps we find even insignificant people fearful to us. Maybe it's a family member or someone even in the professing church whose opinion we fear. And you know, there are many people who are kept from following Christ through the fear of others, which brings a snare. Now, there are two things that we could say. Firstly, let's brace up here. Uh, If the servants of Satan are bold and brazen, bold as brass, let us not be weak and pathetic and timid. That's one thing we should say. In a sense, we're just gingering ourselves up when we say that. But you see, we're told exactly how it is that he overcame the fear, not just by gingering himself up and saying, well, come on, you know, brace up, man. But we're told it was by faith not fearing the wrath of the king. How was it that faith enabled Moses to overcome? Um, You've perhaps heard of Dutch courage. Dutch courage was an expression that came into use, as far as I'm aware, in the Second World War, where people gingered themselves up to be brave by drinking alcohol, so-called Dutch courage. It's probably a bit rough on the Dutch to use that expression but I'm sure it's something that happened. And people just made themselves drunk and lost any sense of judgment. And that way they had courage, but it wasn't real courage. Now Moses's courage is not Dutch courage. It's not faith in nothing, but it's faith in God. What is it in the experience of Moses that enabled him to go to this king, this powerful potentate who ruled a vast area of the known world and say to him God says let my people go and then to actually exit in in a fury in a rage himself because of the rebellion of the Pharaoh well the answer is because Moses met with the living gods or should I say the living God met with Moses we read about it I'm not going to go into it here just to mention it in Exodus chapter 3 We read about the appearance of Yahweh in the burning bush to Moses. And Moses had a sense of deep awe, of reverence, of fear of God, because God said, don't draw near, take your sandals off your feet, the place you're standing on is holy ground, and I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he realized he was in the presence of the eternal I am. 
And to be in the presence of such a one is to throw away, to throw out the fear of others, the fear of man. That's what brings real courage, to see him who is invisible. And then to hear his words, to hear from God that I'm going to send you to uh, the Pharaoh and you are going to deliver my people. I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That's where his faith was. It wasn't making himself feel good. It wasn't psyching himself up. It was a remembrance of who he'd met with and what this God had said he was going to do through Moses. That's the way. You see, fear him, you saints, and you will then have nothing else to fear. When we see Christ, by faith that is, when we are aware of the glory and the wonder of our God, him who is the invisible, the immortal, the only wise God, when he fills our thoughts, then people become so puny. That's why we need day by day to keep close to the Lord. That's why day by day we need to read our Bibles and pray. It doesn't mean to say we have to read huge passages. We need to read and to meditate. That's the important thing, to chew and to enjoy and to dwell on what we read. And so we commune with God through that. And this is what overcomes the world, even our faith. This is the victory. When we remember who is on our side. So this is how Moses overcame this particular obstacle, the wrath of the king. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, because he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Here's the answer to your fears, to my fears. Here's the answer to my cowardice, to your cowardice. Here's the answer to those things that terrify us that we would be really ashamed to admit. Let's look secondly at the challenge of verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. I suggest to you this is a worse threat than verse 27. It's a worse threat. One is man, but this is God. This is the wrath of God. This is he who destroyed the firstborn. You know, you may not be the kind who does fear people. Some people temperamentally are fearless, and that's a wonderful gift of God to be like that. And we mustn't become thereby insensitive. Uh, That's taking it too far. But it's a wonderful gift if you are a fearless person. But listen, you and I would be mad if we didn't fear God. When we think of who God is, listen to what Jesus says. He says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Remember reading the testimony of of someone who is quite well known in the publishing world. And he said the time he 
became literally afraid of God was when his son died. He was a grown-up son, and, and, and God took him. He died. And it wasn't that he felt that God was in some way judging him, but this just came into his life, and he said for the first time he was genuinely afraid of God. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Fear him who has the powers, the keys of death and hell. Fear him who created you. Fear him who is your judge. Fear him whose organization of your life, of my life, of every life is such that he achieves exactly what he wants. Now this is the area of challenge, of threat, if you like, that Moses was having to deal with. There is this Passover coming. The angel of death is going to pass over. It wasn't going to be a happy night, at least not for the Egyptians. The angel of death is going to pass over. Every firstborn is going to die. Now, how did he know what to do? Well, he knew what to do because God had given precise instructions to Moses We can read all about it in Exodus 12. I'm not going to read all about it, but just again remind you of one or two details. That God had told them that they were to take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood of the Passover lamb, strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And that's what happens. At midnight, the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead it was God in wrath against sin just and holy God against the sin of sinners and there was only one place of protection it was to be using the means that God had provided to use that mediator uh, well the type of the mediator the Passover lamb speaking to us of Christ, our Passover. God provided the lamb. The Israelites were to take the young lamb and they were to sprinkle its blood on the doorpost. They were to eat the lamb. Their, their trust was in the provision that God had provided as it looks forward to Jesus Christ, our Passover. Here is the shelter from the avenging angel. And by faith, you see, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. And so he wasn't destroyed. His family and the family of the Israelites were not destroyed because they did that. You see, the fact is that Moses and all the Israelites were sinners. We're all sinners. We've all sinned, the Bible says. We've all come short of God's glory. We all deserve eternal wrath. And there's only one way that we can escape that. It's through the provision that God provides us with. And that provision is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
We may fear people, we may not fear people, but we should fear God and we should so fear him that we shelter from God, the wrath of God. You know, the Bible has a word for peace between God and man. It's reconciliation. And that word can be much misunderstood as though, well, reconciliation is when we repent of our sins and we come to God in, in, in penitence and in faith. And all of the barriers on our part are down. That's not the main part of reconciliation. That's part of it, but it's not the main part. The main part is when God puts the barriers down, when God is propitiated, when God's wrath is stilled. That's the main part. It's his enmity to us that is the big problem. And that enmity is put away through the merits of Christ on our behalf as we trust in Jesus, the Saviour. I wonder if that's a, a, a path of faith that you have taken and you're continuing to take, that you continue to believe in. I hope so very much. And then we come to verse 29. Here is another um, way which Moses overcomes an obstacle. Well, it's the same way, by faith, but it's another obstacle. By faith, they pass through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. If you just had the first part of that verse, you might say, well, the problem is uh, a seemingly insurmountable difficulty. There's this sea in front of you. How do you get across it? Well, you trust in God who's going to pro provide a way. Moses will lift up his rod and then there'll be a great wind over the sea and then the water will arise into two walls and you'll go over on dry land. And of course, that's part of the narrative. But we see there's another part to this verse. Whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. And we read from Exodus 14 how as they chased after Moses and the Israelites. And they'd all come into the uh, hollow that had been made through the seabed. And then... Moses stretched out his rod and the waters closed over the Egyptians and they were drowned, all of them. The 600 chariots and all the charioteers. So what is the challenge here that's overcome by faith? I suggest to you the challenge when you take the verse as a whole is the challenge of presumption. You see, the Egyptians had presumption. They didn't have faith. Moses and Israel had faith. They trusted in God's provision. They trusted that God would look after them. They went across at the bidding of the Lord through Moses. The Egyptians did the same, but they didn't have faith. They didn't trust in Moses. They didn't trust in the Passover lamb. They didn't trust in any provision that God was giving. They just came over. You see, the the, the fleeing of the Israelites across the Red Sea was not an act of suicidal desperation. It was actually a response of faith to God's specific provision through Moses. As Moses says to the Israelites, we can read about it in Exodus 14, he says to them that this is, the, this is what's going to happen. Go over. Go forward. And they go forward. 
But he doesn't say that to the Egyptians, but they still go forward and they're drowned. You see, they're attempting to do something that is miraculous in this context, but they're not going in there in the wisdom and in the strength of Almighty God. They're not going trusting in a Passover lamb. They're not going with Moses as their mediator and their intercessor. They're just going in their own natural fury and folly. It's a picture to us, is it not, of people who venture into eternity and they're not trusting in Christ they're trusting in themselves. They, they've, they've no knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They, this business of a Passover lamb and Christ, the blood of Christ, they think this is fanaticism. They, they think it's, it's crazy to be spending time on a Sunday night when you could be watching the football, listening to the Bible, and they go into death, and they go into hospital, and they go into all kinds of crises. And for those that say, well, I'm all right, I'm sincere, it's just sheer presumption. Is that your case? It's the case of so many people. It's the sad case of so many people. In his Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus drew that sermon to an epic close, to a very powerful Climax in Matthew chapter 7. Remember, there were two kinds of presumption that he put his finger upon. The first was those who say to Jesus, Lord, 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 have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonderful works in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You see, what's, hap- what's their presumption? Their presumption is this, because they do a lot of things in the name of the Lord, and even miraculous things, they think that that in and of itself is enough to take them to heaven. When Jesus says, I never knew you. And the way to know Christ is to know forgiveness and cleansing and acceptance on the basis of his finished work at the cross. That's the way to know him. Not to do all kinds of things and say, well, this is my bargaining chip. This is what I've done. Jesus says, I never knew you. This is sheer presumption. Who are you? What are you doing here at the gate of heaven? Down you go. And then Christ gives a second example of presumption. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Here's the second kind of presumption. We might say in a sense this one is not doing. The first is to do with doing. This one is to do with not doing. This is the person who's, who, who's just got words and ideas and listening you might say believism, but there's no fruits of actual obedience to what Christ says. Now, the first thing that we have to obey is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's no other thing either. There's nothing else to show that there has been obedience to what Christ says. 
It's called easy believism in modern terms. It's a form of presumption. I suggest that there is actually just as much an obstacle in the way of people going to heaven in this one as in the other. The fear of man. The not fearing God who we ought to fear. And the presuming upon God's. By faith, they, that's Israel, passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Yes, they did. Because we could say in New Testament terms, Jesus had opened up the way for them. We could, if we spiritualize it, we could say Jesus has opened up the way to heaven. He's gone over the Jordan. He's gone over the Red Sea for us. He's preparing a place for us. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we're trusting in him as the way, the truth, and the life. But the Egyptians, they attempt to do so all right, but they're drowned under the wrath of a holy God. Oh, that none of us might presume in that way. Well, these are some of the challenges, and you know all these challenges are overcome by faith. Strange, isn't it, that faith can overcome such a diversity of challenges. Some of them are very domestic, as we've looked at in previous verses. Some of them are incredibly supernatural and powerful, and some are to do with inward struggles. But it's all the same remedy. It is by faith, by faith in God, by faith in the word of God, by faith in Christ. And this is what the writer is saying to the converted Hebrew Christians, he's saying this is the way. This is the way you have to walk. This is the way to run the race that is set before you. May we also hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in this matter.